I'm here with Eleanor, that's right, isn't yep, it? Yep. Um, and it's the 3rd of September. And where are we? Bursco in Lancashire. Bursco. In okay. Yeah. Loads of people stopped me today and were like, oh, where are you going? And I was like, couldn't tell you. <laughs> And welcome to season two of the Extraordinary Ordinary Women podcast. My name's Frankie, and this is the podcast where I cycle around the UK interviewing folk about their adventurous lives. This season was recorded back in September 2020 as I cycle towards Liverpool and onwards north on my way to Scotland. This is episode five, where I speak to Eleanor on day 21 of the trip. What you don't know is that by this point, we'd had a cup of tea, walked the dog, been to the pub, had dinner, and we'd already been chatting for ages. When I'm older, I want to be someone who looks back on my life with hundreds of stories to tell. So for me, Eleanor is basically life goals. In this episode, my questions are blown out of the window and I'm more than happy sitting back soaking in all Eleanor's incredible adventures. This conversation was recorded in her house, so the noise is pretty good, although you can sometimes hear Archie the dog, and it does start raining partway through, but I'm sure that just adds to the stories from Eleanor's incredible adventures. To start with, for people that don't know you at all, can you give me a bit of a snapshot of who you are? Snapshot of who I am. So my name's Eleanor. I am currently 52, which is always a surprise to me that I find myself (laughs) over 50. Still find myself being about 21 in my head. Um, And I uh, live in Bursco now. I um, have been in Bursco... It's going on for 14 years, which is a surprise to me because it's the longest I've lived anywhere. Prior to that, well, I grew up about five miles away, but lived in Manchester, Rugby, Coventry, Croydon, went travelling for a year, then the Thames Valley, found a fella, came back north, got divorced, and now I'm on my own. Um, so that's a snapshot of who, you know, I'm professional, I, I, I work for the very group uh, by day, and that just funds the adventures and the playtime by night. <laughs> I got a real passion for mountain biking and anything outdoors and having tried lots of things, um, it's the mountain biking that, that's absolutely obsessing me at the moment. Awesome. And you've been telling me all about your adventures <laughs> for like the last few hours, but I kind of want to put them into some sort of like chronological order, okay. like where oh, and how where, did, how did you it all start? start? Well... Bizarrely, I think as a teenager, I, I didn't like school. I, I barely spoke at school. You find this hard to believe now. Barely spoke. So it was really at university when I went into railing with a friend and thought, this is good fun. And it's really started from there, really some probably early 20s, where I started to travel. And then, I'm trying to put it in order myself, really. I finished a relationship and I just booked myself on a, a packet trip and I, I went off to Portugal for a week on my own and, and had a bit of a wild time. And I came and I thought, oh, that was fun. But I bet it could be more fun. And I discovered youth hostelling. I, I set off and um, tried some youth hostelling holidays. I walked the West Highland Way with the Scottish Youth Hostel Association. Um, 
I had a bit of a bad patch around about 26 that made caused me to make some decisions. And so I decided at 26, I, I would, at some point in the next two years, jack it all in and go travelling and go around the world mm-hmm. as much as around the world I could or felt safe doing on my own. I was sort of 28 when I went. So in, in, I had to start saving, but I decided I, I best go and see if I actually like hosteling. So I took myself around Scotland for a couple of weeks, just youth hosteling took the Haggis Honking bus, which is based on the Kiwi experience. <laughs> Amazing. And I was like, I kept meeting other people saying, but you're the only English person we've met in the hostels. And I was like, well, that's because we're all in New Zealand. So um, that that was amazing fun. At that point in London, I'd already I'd, I'd joined Spice. Uh, Can which, I ask you yeah. this to put this the other side of you, yeah. just that I'm picking up the snoring a little bit? And that would be the dog, not me, like... not me. Um, so I joined a group in London called Spice, which was... It's still going now, but it's an action-adventure group. And they would, uh, in those times, early 90s, send you a magazine every month and somebody would collate a load of events to do. And you'd just pay up and join. So I, having arrived in London knowing not knowing anybody, there was suddenly a group of 40 of us just knocking around. And we did all sorts. I flew a tiger moth. What's a tiger moth? Uh, it's a biplane. So from um, So like a World War Two plane. So we got to fly no that yeah, with a pilot, not me doing. Uh, we did dragon boating, archery shooting, uh, lots of walking, lots of uh, drinking in pubs. Um, <laughs> but really got to meet a whole different range of people that, that did wacky stuff. And I really didn't have an awful lot. I didn't have the money that some of them did. But probably my favourite event and I still do it now, is I fire, eat and fire, breathe. So I went on a workshop and I learned how to fire, eat and fire, breathe with them. <laughs> so it sort of comes out every now and again as a party trick. Amazing! <laughs> uh, so um, that really inspired me. And I, I, as I said, moving to London, I, I was renting a room with a lady that's been such an inspiration to me. Uh, she was probably 30. She was 10 years older than me. She was in her 30s, I was in my 20s. And she's the eldest of nine has never got married and had sort of two boyfriends on the go when I met her. And she just had a very different way of living and would, would travel. And she just said, look after the house, I'm off to Australia for a year with a mate. And a mate never came back because she stayed and married in Oz. And I decided when I was having a rough time, I thought, I've always said I was going to go to Australia. So I saved my money, did a bit of exploratory backpacking around Scotland and, and, and off I went. And I went out through the round the world ticket I got. Well, it was more like out through America and back to America, but it was £630 for the year. I was like, bargain. So I went out and did a, a Trek America, camped across America for 21 days. Wow. There was four Aussies on that trip, and I ended up staying with, with all of them when I went out there. Um, so I went out through America. Oh, it was such good fun. So we did all the canyons, like um, you know Bryce Canyon and Zion and Grand Canyon. And then I flew into... I, I went into New Zealand first... Um, and I was going to stay three months, stay six months till the visa ran out. Ended up, um, I was travelling on the Kiwi Experience, um, and I met a girl who was on a similar. It's called the Magic Bus. She was always two days ahead of me, and we hit it off. So we we travelled for a good. She was on her way back to the UK, so we travelled for probably a, a month or two together. And she'd leave me notes saying, "This place is shit. I've moved on. I'll see you in Hokitiki for one." And I'd be like. All right, so I, I remember jumping on the bus to get into Hokitiki and she met me in the pouring rain going, sorry, this place really is shit. 
but we had such good fun there. It was a real, real roughneck town, and the, the hostel was above a bar. And there was one night where a disgruntled local had been disgruntled and been being thrown out of the bar, so he, he threw a stick of dynamite through the window. We had no idea whether it was lit or not. We, we just <laughs> exited from the bar. So, you know, real rough, rough place, but it was, it was funny. It was funny. We had such adventures. So we did go down to Queentown. We, we bungee jumped and it was, it was the, that was the one thing my mum said I, I, I mustn't do. She didn't want me to bungee jump at all. Of course I did it and just sent her the video. I don't think she's ever forgiven me. <laughs> but that, that was fun. And actually, actually, arriving in Auckland, uh, I had to wait there till sort of my money transferred. So I was in Auckland for a couple of weeks waiting for the money to transfer. And uh, I'd, I'd gone along to a shop to see if I could get some firebrands because I, I couldn't take the fire-eating equipment with me because you use white spirit, so I couldn't take that on the plane. So I was trying to buy some equipment. Uh, and this led to me being invited to join a circus and tour Malaysia with them. Uh, and... Uh, no I wasn't brave enough I was not brave enough to go I remember going back to the hostel and finding a a, a really tall lad called Billy from Liverpool I said Billy would you come with me to this meeting because I'm not sure what I'm getting myself into so he came with me and it was an invitation to join this circus to travel Malaysia and I just didn't feel comfortable so I I didn't I didn't carry on (laughs) and this is about the time when I I used to drink quite a bit and I, I, I did get myself I spent a couple of weeks there and I, I thought I'm getting myself in some situations here and being on my own, I thought I, I can't do that. So I I thought it was safer to, to, to not drink. It's also cheaper because I wasn't working. I sort of saved my money. I was going to have a good time. So yeah, I had, I had a lot of fun in New Zealand. But I ended up in Kaikoura and I ended up, the friend that I met, she was uh, going off with one of the one of the bus drivers to go around the island again. And she said, would you wait for me? Uh, this is sort of all, all pre all pre-mobiles and internet. So um, I said, okay, I'll wait for you. I had I managed to con myself into a, a job at a farm down the road. And when that finished, I came back to the hostel and she she arrived um, back with a broken arm after skiing. And the bus driver was, was so scared to tell me because I told her to look, told him to look after her. <laughs> but in that time while she was away, the, the, the hostel manager was, was poorly, he had the flu. So I sent him to bed and uh, did all the work in the hostel that day. And, and then ended up working there for three months which was really cool um and after that uh, I ended up in Australia again for sort of six months doing the backpacker circuit really just trusting your gut with your stay you're on the circuit or staying with people you've met or just getting cheeky my my brother had just got engaged at the time and I knew my now sister-in-law's aunt lived in Sydney where they filmed home and away so I rang her and said you've got no idea who I am but I'm Andrew's sister. Could I come and stay? And you just get really, really cheeky. Um, and sometimes you look back and you think, did I really do that? I then came back through uh, America and I stayed with friends in Dallas because I, I, when I'd been working, I'd spent six weeks in Dallas with work. So I stayed with friends in Dallas and realised I'd completely run out of money and I had a flight to Boston and couldn't afford to do anything in Boston apart from staying in the hotel. <laughs> I had nothing. And then I, I flew home and I flew into Heathrow and I was coming back north to stay with mum and dad. And I just cried the whole way home. I, I, I wasn't ready to come home. I wasn't ready to come home. So that was the big trip. That was the big trip. And then um, came back north, but ended up with a job in Bracknell then. It was a software company that I'd, I'd 
they'd be the, uh, the supplier where I was before and they just rang me and said well we know you can do the job so name your price and calm down so I was like okay I always found it exciting I always found a new town and a new job exciting I, 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 I all the way up to about my mid-30s I changed I used to quite regularly change jobs and change town I just got bored so there I was in the Thames Valley and going oh this is new and so what I had done was when I was in New Zealand on my day off I'd been taking a mountain bike out and um, really enjoying the mountain bike scene which was quite in its infancy <laughs> uh, and promised myself when I got back to England I'd save and buy myself a bike so that was 98 and that bike is still in the shed in the bottom of the garden <laughs> I have done so many miles on that bike got a bit sentimentally attached to it to be honest did a lot of, lot of cross country I spent a lot of time just me and an ordnance survey map just taking off for the day with a picnic and getting lost all around the Reading Thames Valley area just take off do 50 miles on the bike and really get to know an area um that was a lot of fun uh, and in fact when when the boyfriend moved in uh, I can remember me getting up at half seven he's like where the hell are you going I'm going I'm just gonna go and do 40 miles on the bike before breakfast and he'd be like are you for real and I was like yeah, I should have known then, really, this is going to hide into nothing, but um, I did end up marrying him, well, now divorced. So whilst we, we did a lot in France and we had a lot of adventures, uh, it was only, I guess, really since I got divorced. So it was, it was like sort of 10 years and moving from Reading back up to Lancashire and then um, going through the divorce. It was, I promised myself, post-divorce, with £22,000 worth of debt coming out of it, but the moment I paid that off, I, w- I was booking myself a trip and I can remember being so scared to booking myself on a... It was an Exodus trip out to Jordan cycling and oh, best thing I ever did. Best thing I ever did. Um, and we just had a ball for a week. Jordan was just stunning. Uh, and we went to Petra and, and Wadi Rum, all the places I, I wanted to go and the husband wouldn't go with me. And I just remember watching Sunrise over, over Wadi Rum and just crying and these amazing women just just hugging me, just going, we've all been there. And we all shared these stories where somebody else had been divorced or all those relationship stories that we've all got and we just bonded. And, you know, I'm still in touch with quite a few of them now. And that, and it's just sort of gone from there in that I've just... I don't care anymore about travelling on my own. I'm quite happy. So I I'm, I'm, I'm join trips, I go on weekends, um quite often I join a group but I'm kind of on my own so cycled in Andalusia, uh, Morocco, done the coast to coast in a group all cycling so the cycle obsession has sort of taken off by this point across Sardinia with a group of uh, two of the girls I met in in Jordan actually uh, had done lots of um, mountain bike weekends I, I, I dated a guy in the Peak District who I thought I mountain biked and I didn't when I got to the peaks and Although that relationship finished, the, the love of biking and wanting to get better on the mountain bike sort of spurred me on to join groups and weekends away. And I've just ridden everywhere and everything. So I've just um, met so many lovely people through doing that. I don't know what it is about the bike. It's just, it, it's, I'm amazed where my little legs can get me. I, I'm one of those weird ones that actually likes climbing. And I can... Whilst I like I like the technical stuff, I like the adrenaline of, of, of getting over an obstacle and being sometimes so scared to do it that 
I think it took me three years to do one particular thing up at Gisborne locally and it's like whilst doing that but just I can get up in the hills I can get up for a sunrise I can see a sunset I like night riding with the lights on and it's just me in the forest I don't know just like it's like a recharge it's just like resets you Uh, I can get the same through walking but I can just get a bit bit further with, with, with biking um, and it's quite nice to be out then and just throw yourself in the lake at the end or something like that. And then to find that other people get this as well. And, and to, as much as it's nice going solo, it's, it's equally nice finding other people that, that get it. So that, that's been a lot of fun. So whilst I was doing a lot of that solo, I then met a bunch of ladies that were riding. Did a lot of riding out in Wales um, and really got to know them and got to know... Uh, Sarah and Debs, particularly well, Debs, unfortunately, you couldn't you couldn't get to meet tonight. But um, Debs and I hit it off. I think one New Year's Day, we, we went mountain biking and we I said, meet at eight o'clock in the morning. And we had a real sort of bonding session going around these hills. I was telling her my stories and she was telling her equally <laughs> crap relationship stories. Uh, and we just went, actually, we, we work quite well together. So we did more riding and... Um, went away for a weekend and we said we actually ride quite well together now she's she's also an iron woman and so she's quite strict with her her training which I've sort of learned a lot off her and um, a couple of years ago I was deciding I was going off somewhere for my 50th and I'd got all these plans and uh, she, she came to me one night she said are you going to Canada and I was like yes are you going on your own I was like yes and she just said can I come with you and I said yes, but I said it's been a while since I've travelled with anybody. So we uh, we got beer, beer and pizza, and we, we wrote a list of everything we fancied doing. And our lists were so similar. Obviously, it involved mountain biking. And um, so we had the most amazing fortnight in America, where we we travelled, we ate well, we stayed in nice places, we stayed in dives, we paddleboarded, we walked, we mountain biked, we kayaked. And to top it all, she introduced me to downhill mountain biking in Whistler Bike Park, which I thought I would hate because I'm not really a downhiller. And we've just had the most amazing time. So Debs is 50 in a couple of years, so we're now planning where do we go next. And through seeing what she was doing with, with Ironman, I was thinking, oh, I, quite, I quite fancy doing something for me and getting out of my comfort zone. Because I love to ride, you, you ride to a certain level. And, um, you know, those random encounters. So I bumped into somebody that trained with Debs standing in a queue waiting to go to waiting to go swimming and she said she was um she's an age group triathlete for, for, for great britain and she said oh, i'm here meeting my cycling coach so she gave me his number and i rang him and i ended up having coffee with him and he said well what do you want he's a he's a pt instructor and i said oh i want to get fit i want to lose a bit of weight um need a bit of structure and you know i might fancy racing a bit how that translated into me finding myself entered into the British National Cross Country Mountain Bike Series, I'm still not sure. I think there was a dare in there, but I've worked with Dave now for two years. Two years. I, I, I can't afford him very often. So, like, once a month we meet up and he has helped me. I mean, I just think just through riding and nutrition, I've lost two stone and um, helped me get to the start line because I was so nervous. Uh, my first race I didn't I had to ask somebody what the rules were I didn't know what the rules were <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you but I might need to because of the rain do you mind if we yeah no, the that's fine room? that's fine flipping rain 
so can I ask you to start again from you where you said that you don't know how you ended up entered into the nationals? <laughs> yeah. So found myself entered into the British National Mountain Bike Cross Country Series for the grand. I think I'm now a grand veteran, which is the over fifties. I didn't even know there was a thing really. Um, so I found myself entered in the, the series and having to acquire a race license. And for a mountain biker wearing baggies, I found myself in Lycra, which was kind of like, oh, this is a bit weird. And the first race was in Nottingham at Sherwood Pines. And I turned up and there was like a whole event going on. It was, it was full of people. Very intimidating because they all looked like they knew what they were doing. And I didn't know the rules. Uh, I found a lady that looked quite nice. <laughs> I said, can you tell me what the rules are? And I was really scared that I'd, I'd be so far behind that um, they'd be winding in the tape or that I'd knock off one of the elite riders. And once I got going and realised it's just a nice ride in the woods, really, I just go as fast as I can. I didn't knock anybody off the bike. I was last, but they weren't rolling in the tape um, and it didn't really matter. And from that point, it was like, this is OK. It's my race, my way. So um did the whole series. I, I think um, I came last in all but one. And that was so sweet not to come last in one. But the whole fact that I did it, I was just so proud of myself. So, so proud. And I think the best race I'd done was in Hadley in Essex. It was the first time they raced the 2012 Olympic course. Uh, and it was as close to... They've turned it into a bike park now, but it was as close to the Olympic course as they could do. And lots of technical features They've got A and B lines, and A lines are the hard lines, but the quickest, and the B lines are slightly easier, but a bit slower. And I was so proud of myself. I did about 50% of the A lines. And I can remember getting to the end, and there was, just, there was a huge drop, and I did it every lap. And I said to the lady that won my section, and I said, God, that last drop was, was, that was a bit scary, wasn't it? And she, was just, she just pointed, she went, you came down that? I said, yeah, four times. She said, I didn't do that. <sighs> And I, so I was so proud that I had actually done this huge thing that she, she didn't have the nerve to do. But then I thought, hang on, she was going that quick. She actually lapped me. She didn't need to do it. But everybody just had so much time. They're just, they're just so lovely people. And I've made really good friends. And I was just so gutted that this year was cancelled. <laughs> this year was cancelled. So that's the, that's the, the competitive side, just wanting to get out of the comfort zone. I've got unfinished business. I'll be, I'll be back next year <laughs> to give it a go. But I just think, for me, I just like to be out of my comfort zone, doing something a little bit not, a little bit off the wall, a little bit out, out there. And I think I'll always be that way. I think the other side, alongside that, is I, I, I love to cycle tour. I went and did, there was eight of us, three on tandems. I was on, I, I was on a tandem. And we, we did the Outer Hebrides about five years ago. The love of that tour was just amazing. So I bought myself a different bike, the panniers, the Garmin, uh, and the first year I set off around the Isle of Man, I thought, where can I go from Liverpool that's going to be quite kind to me because I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, so I got the ferry across to the Isle of Man and did a week on the Isle of Man, just touring and staying in B&Bs, which was so much fun. So the next year I thought, oh, where, where can I go now? And I thought, oh, I've not been to Harlech Castle, so I decided I'd ride from home to Harlech, all down the Welsh coast, through the land under the Great Orm, down to... Um, the Lynn Peninsula, through Crickius uh, and to Harlech, and took sort of four days to do that, and then took the train to Shrewsbury and cycled back from Shrewsbury. And I just love touring. <laughs> I just, uh, nobody expects me to go fast with my panniers on. I like the freedom of diving down somewhere. That looks interesting. 
uh, and carrying on. I've not been brave enough like you to go camping yet. It's just I like the B&B at the end because I can get clean. <laughs> um, and then I think my favourite one, I took the ferry to Belfast um, took myself inland um, up the Loch Ney, up to Port Stewart and then came down the Antrim Coast Road. And I had some brilliant adventures there, just... Just such good fun. I stayed in one B&B. The owner wasn't there when I got there and I rang him and he said, I'm sorry, I've had to take my wife to the hospital. The key's in the box. Help yourself. There's nobody else in there tonight. I never saw this guy. He sent me and somebody in to cook me breakfast. He told me to choose whichever room I liked. Maybe I'd like the honeymoon suite because it had the rolled top bath. And I, he rang me the next morning to say, was everything OK? And I said, well, thank you so much. You could have just cancelled my booking because I was the only one in there. So that, that was fun. Um, to the couple that were in a... I chose the B&Bs where I didn't have to get back on the bike. There was somewhere to a pub I could go and eat in. And I got down to Glenarm and he said, oh, no, the pubs don't serve any food. And I was like, oh, where can I get food? He said, well, it's a village eight miles away. And I said, what, the one I've just cycled through? <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, they, they do deliveries. I said, oh, that's OK. I'll, I'll ring them and get a delivery. And I went into my room and he came back down and he, he said, he said, we fancy fish and chips. We'll go and get the fish and chips for you. <laughs> so they went off and got, got us all three of us fish and chips. So just people were just so, so amazingly lovely. And Ireland is so beautiful. Um, so this year's been a bit strange. We've just, uh, just had lots of weekends away, um, just enjoying the mountain biking. And then when we were totally locked down, I just thought, well, what, what can I do? What can I do that's local? Because as you've seen, it, it's so flat. Where I am is flat and I like the hills. So I bought myself an ordnance survey map and busily rode, walked, ran every footpath, bridleway, towpath, lane I could think of. So I have this rather nice pink highlighted map of everywhere I've been. And it gets a bit, oh, it gets a bit, it gets, it's getting quite addictive because it's like, oh, that's a new one. Um, so I found um, there are some amazing places. As long as you don't mind shifting your bike over a style or two and you do come out in some random places and I know I shouldn't cycle a footpath but most of them aren't busy I've only been shouted at by a farmer once but it was worth it because I found a 300 year old windmill that I didn't know was on top of a hill <laughs> so I think now so what am I 52 you don't know what 52 is meant you don't know what you're meant to be doing at 52 I've got no there's no real role models and I think there's a few of us I in my social group I'm probably just about the oldest but not by much and it's different from generation to generation. We, we don't feel we should stop. We, we're out on the mountain bikes. We had a giggle probably a fortnight ago. We were, we were out in Delamere riding in the mud. Uh, we caught up with a group of lads um, and I confessed they were in my way. So I, I just said, coming through and burnt them off. And they decided they wanted to race us. And we just shouted, you've been chicked. And then somebody said, not only been chicked, but you've just been chicked by your grandma. <laughs> They were only about 18 and I was like, we're old enough to be your we're old enough to be your mums, which is kind of that's quite weird now. But I like to think in some way we're showing some of the some of the people the way to do it. it it's um you don't have to stop. Why should you stop? Start. It's never too late. I'm now inspired by I'm meeting ladies in their 60s and 70s and they're still riding. They're still riding. A couple of them are on e-bikes and I think, you know, that might be the way to go. There's a lady I race with and she's oh, she's amazing, Caroline. She's campaigned to have an over 60s category. So she's the only one in her category uh, at the moment. Um, and she's awesome. Absolutely awesome. She's so generous with the time. I think she says, I'm sure she says she can only see out of one eye. I don't know whether that makes it easier or not. 
but she tans my ass on, on the mountain bike. Um, and I just think, well, that's awesome. Why, why should I stop? Um, why should I, why should age be anything? It's, it's how you feel. But I think in, in keeping active and busy, why, why, shouldn't I, why shouldn't I be doing it at 60 or 70? You see guys in the 70s or 80s, right? Why, why are the ladies? Um, so maybe in some small way that's inspiring to somebody else. That this, you know, we're, we're having it. We're, we're still having a go. Still fall off quite a lot. The, the girls laugh at me to say it's not a ride unless you've fallen off. But <laughs> that's just... <laughs> you just have so much fun. And I think it's the same with anything that you you enjoy that you're passionate about you'll attract people that uh, that like that same thing um oh, i love that that's incredible oh my goodness and i'm the whistle stop tour of 50 so excited that there's gonna be so many people that either hear themselves in yeah, your yeah. story Do or you like maybe going through something that yeah. you've been through and we'll just be like yeah. Oh. There is life. Uh, it took a long time. Just going to let him in. It's, oh it's, yeah, of course. Bless him. I just remember. So I said I came out of marriage and my world was this big, and I knew there was so much out there. And I it was a bit like, oh, I was a bit like, I didn't know what to do first. I did everything. I tried kayaking. I went on kayaking holiday. Um, and I joined all these social groups and I forced myself, I thought, right, twi- twice a week I'm going to go and have social interactions. I'm just going to have two social things a week. And I went on meet-up groups, random theatre trips, random meals. Not date, they weren't dating sites, it was just were places to meet people. Um, I just got so bored of my name is Eleanor. And <laughs> I think I met one, one person through there, sort of connected with Yvonne. And I just thought, God, this is so boring. And I thought, actually, no, I'm ready to say this is boring and this isn't me now. But it's taken us almost as much effort as, as my work life to get a social life again and, and build a life again. Um, I need adventures. And, it, I need, and, and an adventure can be, it can be small, it can be on my doorstep, or it can be something a bit grander and a bit bigger that needs a bit of planning and a bit of saving for. But it's just making that step and joining in. Oh, it's just the last few years have just been just been fun. Um, and now you've bought yourself a van. I know I've got myself. Yeah, next adventure. So I thought, I guess retirement is nearer now. Now I'm past fifty. I didn't do my thoughts were going more towards, well, what's next and when can I retire? And um, whilst I love my job, it's very very busy. And it's quite intense. It takes a lot of time. It pays well. It pays for the adventures. That's why I keep telling myself it pays for the adventures. But I've got to start thinking about what's next. So whilst I quite like the idea of a camper van I wasn't quite ready yet so I've got the it is like a van it's a car van but it's a car um, and I'm going to turn that into a camper van with a, a removable module so I can still have the back seats in it it can still be a car it's still classed as a car but I'll turn that into a, a camper van and take off and have more adventures because I quite enjoyed the wild camping side and I just think so my, my dog is 12 today and I don't know how much longer you know I just want to have some adventures with him because he's not going to be around forever uh, and he quite likes camping and he, he definitely likes pubs. He's a bad influence. He takes me into pubs. Terrible, terrible. Um, and he likes, he likes, te- he likes a tent. He just likes to be with me. So I just think of camper van, we could have some adventures, um, but also to stick the bike in uh, and just take off on that. And just the thought of waking up with the sunrise just sounds like freedom to me. And the thoughts are then I can do that for the next few years and then 60-ish-ish-ish. Um, maybe look at a van and camper van 
and um, start to think about more adventures. And so far in my head, the, the, the retirement plan is I'd like to cycle the the, uh, the West Atlantic Bay in, in, in Ireland. So that's all, all around the coast. I, a couple of years ago, I cycled um, from the Czech Republic through to Meissen on a tour. And I just realised how easy it was in Europe. There's the, the paths, the cycle paths along the rivers were just beautiful. Quite easy to follow once you've understood the navigation. And I, I was on this tour and I met an American lady who was just about finishing and she'd ridden from Bordeaux and was on her way to the Czech Republic. And I think she thought I was mad because I accosted her. What was a kit? What was she using? And it turned out she must have had some money, this American lady. She'd actually sailed from Boston into Bordeaux and then cycling to the Czech Republic. So I was insanely jealous. I was like, how do you fund that? But she, she told me lots of tips and where she was staying. And I thought, that's not a bad idea. So I've got this idea that maybe to cycle across Europe. <laughs> I love that. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Um, and enjoy some sunshine. And um, whether I do it all in one go or do it in stages or, or have adventures. And I quite enjoyed cycling down the, the Danube. Um, and then I realised you can probably cycle from the source of the Rhine to the... So there's there's lots to go at in in Europe, uh, and I think that's why I've been doing my my sort of UK tours. It's like to build the confidence to to go and do something more more, more adventurous, really, on the continent. If, if somebody wants to join me, that's fine. But I think more or less <laughs> volunteer there. Hand up, hand, hand up, hand up. Um, but I'm hope, hopefully, I'm still I'm still going to be able to ride a bike when I'm sixty. So. I just sort of I'd lost uh, lost an auntie in the last couple of weeks, and she'd be very poorly with dementia. And she was seventy seven, and it, it sort of makes you realise that you something's going to get you. You don't know what it is, and you don't know when it's going to be. It is. So you might as well have some bloody good fun on the way and, and making memories. I I don't want to be in my rocking chair at eighty and going, oh, I should have I should have taken that chance. I should have I should have gone and done that. Um, so that that spurs me on a little bit because it's like I, at some point I might have to be in, in my rocking chair in a home but I'd like to think I've had some fun on the way that perhaps I could still write perhaps I could still have a little motability scooter with some go faster stripes <laughs> be burning rubber down the down the street you'll have a lot of stories in your rocking chair <laughs> I hope so I hope so and I say they, they don't have to be the, the big ones are great but the small ones are fun too I, I, I it was it was it's been fun exploring just locally because I I did find I was traveling a lot from here there's it's a nice location but everything's an hour away so it's an hour to the lakes an hour to the peaks an hour to North Wales or so which is great because I, I can be in the beach in 15 minutes I quite often take the jet boil down and go and watch sunset on the beach and it's like I do quite often in the summer um take off with the jet boil Chris, oh my Christmas days, um, Christmas days for the fast, past four years. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Christmas. Um, so I thought, what can I do that makes Christmas Day my day? Because you find yourself at the, the beck and call of, of everybody else, you know, the, the family or the whatever, whatever. What can I do that makes it special for me? So for the past four Christmas years, I've driven down to the beach with my jet boil and the dog. And we've watched sunrise on the beach and had a good walk. Um, and we're back home by about nine or ten o'clock. And then I'm ready to be at the beck and call of everybody else or, or whatever we I need to do for that. Christmas. It's awesome. That's so clever. It's and awesome. Because so, I've always been like, either you have to do Christmas or you have to be in a different continent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But that's like, 
yeah, I just thought, what can I do? Because being on you, sometimes being on your own gives you that freedom. But at those times of years, that's the time when you can feel a bit out of it. So I thought, what can I do for me that makes it special for me? Because I guess that's the other thing. I, I actively chose not not to have children. And um, I was talking to another friend who's, who's Claire's 60 next year, and she said she's, she's never had children either. She said, but she said she had to get her head around the fact that she would never be a grandma that, you know, she wouldn't have the school days or the wedding or the christenings of grandchildren. She said all those social norms that goes with the pattern of having kids and how life goes on. She said, I'm not going to have that. And I just sat there and looked at her and went, oh, my God, I hadn't thought of that, that making that decision at 20... Actually, made it at 11, but... <laughs> that making that decision meant you're putting yourself outside of the social norms in a way because you won't have that framework of a family of your own. And you're not going to be a grandma. And I was like, oh, does that bother me? I thought, no, not really. It bothers more people. It bothers other people more than me. Um, but it does mean... It does mean a freedom to find a way for you. That's awesome. And mm. actually, it leads quite nicely into my next question. Because... <laughs> Sometimes I kind of have quite an alternative lifestyle, yeah. and sometimes I maybe feel like I'm going against the grain, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. And I was going to say, have you ever felt like you're going against the grain? Oh, probably from when I was about ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always felt a bit of an outsider to the norm, um, and in some ways, I've actively done things to make sure I stay outside of the norm. I, I, I don't want to be normal. I can remember my brother buying a house and saying he was getting married and. I think I was just off travelling at the time. And I thought, I don't want that. I really don't want that. I can't see the attraction of that. About six years later, I was like, actually, I need the security. Because I'd moved jobs and moved... I'd moved jobs, I'd moved houses. I would always it's somebody's... I was always in somebody else's house renting a room. Um, and a, a guy, I was living in a lovely house and a, a, the guy moved his mistress in and two kids... And I said, I can't, I can't do this. And he was lovely. He said, I know you didn't sign up for this. So he let, he let me live rent free till I found somewhere else. And at that point, I thought, I think I do need my own front door. I, I need to know it's mine. So that's what I thought. Well, this has been a bit normal now, a bit grown up, getting your own, getting your own house. That really scared me. Because I remember saying to the mortgage advisor, what if I don't like it? And he just looked at me. He said, what do you mean if you don't like it? Well, it's far too normal and settled. What if I don't like it? And he said, well, you sell. I went, oh, it's okay then. That's okay. So I... I do like now having, I've got this place, but I can rent it. <laughs> um, what I didn't want, I, I have this prag- pragmatic side that says, when you do retire, there's no point spending your pension on, on rent if you haven't got your own place. So I thought, yeah, let's do the sensible thing. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel like sometimes I'm, I'm going against the grain and I do have times in the year where it, it's just, I just want to jack it in and walk away. I just want to jack it in, get in the van, get in the car with a rucksack and just bugger off because it's all too much. This this normality thing is just all too much. Um, but then this practical little face comes in and goes, well, you'd be really stupid to walk away right now because how are you going to make a living? And it's got a good pension plan, this job. <laughs> and actually, you don't hate your job. It's just quite constrained. So at that point, I, I, I have to make sure... I have to make sure I have an adventure in every month. Um, so I know I've got weekends away. Next three months, I know I'm away. 
um, there has to be something in. And I think that's why I'm enjoying the training for the races, because that gives me a structure. I know what my training, roughly what my training days are, and then I, then I have my social ride. So there's sometimes I'm riding, I have to be a bit, a bit selfish and say, this is my training ride, and I'll ride hard on my pace, and n- nobody else is coming on this, this is for me. And then there's other times where it's like, oh, I just need to be with people, and I need to ride at a social pace and just be a bit silly. Um and chat and drink beer and eat pizza so he's getting that balance um but yeah i definitely feel everything i've done is put myself outside whatever society thinks is normal in a way and a a big part of that is probably was i expected to get married and have children and all that's kind of the big thing and it's like no that's not for me (laughs) You have had, like, such an incredible <laughs> life with so many stories. Oh. But, like, what's one thing that you know about yourself now that you wish you'd known oh. earlier? Oh, I think it's okay to be different. I think now I don't mind. Um, I spent a long time trying to fit in. Now I quite enjoy being a bit off the wall. <laughs> Or, or doing the, not doing the, people that know me don't go, well, I say do the unexpected. People that know me kind of expect me to do something like that. But um, it's like finding this this duathlon thing. I sent it to, I sent it to my coach Dave and said, okay, race season is cancelled, but I've seen this event. What do you think? And he just came back and he went, it's just so you. It's so off the wall. It's just so you. And I thought, oh, he gets it. <laughs> and I just said I'm going to need a lot of help I don't run yet um so yeah he's helping and it's just I just like to find things that um I started doing triathlons I was either going to drown in wine after the divorce and chocolate or or do something so I started doing triathlons and then people said why didn't you carry it on I said it got too popular (laughs) everybody's doing the (laughs) I need to do something a bit more a bit stranger (laughs) yeah so I do I do just yeah I quite fancy, you know, the, the walking on hot coals. That's always been something I fancy doing. Because how do they do it? How do you do it and not burn your feet? <laughs> I mean, how do you fire breathe and not burn your lungs? Yeah. <laughs> I'll dig you out a picture. <laughs> that was such good. Well, at the time, I knew so many people had done it. I used to do a workshop, so I kept beeping, bumping into people that had done this fire-eating workshop, and I was like, huh. They all look perfectly normal. There's no scarring or anything. So I thought, right, I'm going to save up and I'm going to book myself on that. And it, it <laughs> took all day. And it is that first that first, first time you eat the fire when it's lit. Um, that's a bit scary. And you, you do have to watch the wind. But it's a bit like, they used to say, if you remember the Bunsen burner at school, the, the, the flame that's blue that's got a lot of oxygen in it, that's the hot flame. You, you, you don't want the blue looking flame but the the really orangey yellow flame that's that's a apparently a cooler flame apparently so you, you're sort of watching the wind direction i've had so much fun with it i mean i don't do it a huge amount now but i, I went on a yoga retreat that was another challenge one year i've taken up as i've got older i've taken up yoga because you don't bend quite as well and so i found finding yoga kind of complements that so i took myself up on a and a yoga retreat it's up in Scotland and it just sounded amazing and it was but the, the yoga was really hard but they had um <laughs> it was on a gorge on like a little gorge so like little um so the river ran through it and there was like platforms 
down on the gorge and they had, a, they had bathtubs and solar heated water so you could just go down at any time of day or night and have a bath in a bathtub just stood next to the river which is really odd. So I'd go down at 10 o'clock at night and you'd get starkers under the moon having this bath thinking this is the most random thing. <laughs> but it's quite nice. <laughs> it's quite nice. It's different. It was different. And it was bonfire night and they were having a big bonfire. So I just uh, I rifled around in the workshop and found the Got White Spirit. So I said to the lady that's organised it, I said, look, um, I do actually fire breathe and I've just found the White Spirit. So when we have the bonfire later, I'll, I'll fire breathe, but I won't fire it for you, but I'll fire breathe for you. And she looked at me, she went, all right then. She kept it a complete secret from everybody. And then I, I just uh, <laughs> did my party trick and it was just, got him, I said, well, you come back next year and do it, well, you come back next year and do it. But it, ta- it doesn't taste particularly nice. So I always have to have a, take the whiskey with me and have a shot of whiskey afterwards. Cause it, it, you know, it was years before I used white spirit for its true purpose of cleaning paintbrushes. It's like, it was like, it's like, there's always white spirit in the house. I've been asking everybody about like authenticity and your authentic self. And it's something like, as I get older, I kind of feel like more and more like I'm finding out who I really am. Yeah. And I feel like I'm getting closer. But what does authenticity or your authentic self, what does it mean to you? Oh, that's a question. Yeah. I think it just means for me that I'm true to me, I'm comfortable being me. I think you do know yourself more. You do, you don't care what people think so much. Um, and it keeps you honest. And I trust my gut, you know. If it doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it. And I don't have to make excuses if I don't want to go out that night. But I think having been so lost in the in the, in the marriage, uh, face, I didn't know who I was. I didn't have a bloody clue. Completely lost me. Um, and I used to look back at that woman and say, that woman went travelling on her own to New Zealand and Australia and had all these adventures. And I didn't recognise that person. So my true self is, is that person that can slow, throw a backpack on and just just go or have an idea and just go and do stuff. And a couple of my friends have said, we just we just like the way you have an idea and you go and do it. Um, and that's made them think as well, has challenged themselves. So I think, oh, well, at the moment I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable. It's where I need to be right now. Um, give me another eight years. <laughs> Don't know the answer to that. Don't know the answer. But yeah, I think I've got this balance right in the minute. That's awesome. And what do you think bravery is? Oh, God. I think it's knowing that you're going to step out sometimes into the unknown, where you don't know anybody, you don't quite, you, you can't see why it's going to end, but you step out anyway because you can't stay still. If, if, you're, if you've got this burning desire to do something, just start it's never as bad as that for the bravery is just is, is, is stepping out your comfort zone and it's never it's never as it's never as bad as you think I'm terrible I always sit and worry and think what what if what if and I'm always being the case of what's the worst thing could happen and could I deal with it okay I think so and that's the way I've, I've tackled things and it's it's so bravery for me is just this just giving it a go. Because once you start, you run your way, aren't you? 
Would you describe yourself as brave? I think now I would. I think a few years ago I wouldn't. I was just doing my thing. And just doing my thing is just doing my thing. It's just what I do. But other people say it's brave. So I think, well, is it? My mum thinks I'm brave every day because I guess she's she'd been married to my dad 58 years and she's never been on her own. So everything I do every day, I mean, you're, you're so brave, you're so brave. And I'm like, it doesn't feel brave. It's just like, I have to, I have to find a way, you know. I have to find somebody to fix the boiler or, or, or do something because there's nobody else here but me. So it doesn't necessarily feel brave. Other people think it's brave. Um, and what do you think happiness feels like? Oh, bubbles. It feels like bubbles. <laughs> it really feels like bubbles. <laughs> uh, I only know that because, oh, that's funny. I, um, I bought this house. It was two years after the divorce and I saved and saved and saved. And I can remember driving down to the, the traffic lights at the top of the road. I thought, oh, God, I feel really weird. I thought, God, that's really weird. I feel really weird. What do I feel? And I said, I feel really bubbly. I went, ah, oh, I'm happy. I'm happy. It took two years after the deal. I'm happy. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Amazing. And I love how quick that answer was as well. So many people have been like... Well, I, I don't know, I've never thought about it before. I always think it's bubbles because I just remember that feeling when I was driving. Uh, I think I'd been in here six months. So we'd be on the April time and I just remember driving. I'm thinking, God, this feels really weird. I feel, oh, I feel very bubbly. <laughs> I'm happy. So I know when I'm happy, I, I feel bubbly. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and I've just got one last question, but what advice would you give to your younger self oh oh yeah no easy questions <laughs> no so easy we, questions though. don't do easy questions oh. here my younger self was such a timid old soul i think it would just be it's all right just be you it gets better <laughs> it does get better actually agrees yeah it gets better yeah <laughs> it's funny looking back it's all right the story says things happen in life. I find things have happened to me when, oh, I don't know, it's the university size things need to change. It throws a curveball. It's pretty shitty at the time. But the outcome is, is you really end up in a much better place than you were. So at 15, coming up 16, that was my O-level year. I got really ill. I was in hospital for three months and I had to go, had to repeat my fifth year at school, which was horrible. Um... But I found my voice, it made me challenge, it made me stand up for myself, because I realised nobody else was going to, nobody else was going through this. Um, so that was the start of a change for me. But the outcome was much better, and I, I viewed divorce like that as well. I think, that, I don't know, the universe, the universe just tells me I'm doing something wrong, and it's, it's time to change, and if you're not going to do it yourself, and then we'll just throw something, we'll throw you under the bus for a little while while, while you need to change. I think, I, think, I think that's happened, I can see twice that's happened for me now. I saw this quote the other day and I really liked it and it was that like not everything happens for a reason like sometimes shit things just happen but you can look back and find purpose and meaning from them that's so true so true thank you so much (laughs) I feel quite quite indulged with my chatter now (laughs) it's like a like a therapy session there (laughs) Do you know, I'm always worried that after like an hour and a half of me like grilling oh, yeah, yeah. people <laughs> yeah. that people are going to be like, thank you, but please never come back. Yeah. But like everyone so far has been like... No, it was quite, it was quite, oh, it was quite good fun there. 
Thanks so much for listening. What an incredible life. There wasn't a single moment where I knew what story was coming next and I loved every single one of them. Next week, I'm going to be chatting to Amira and Aisha and I can't wait to share the conversation with you. If you're enjoying the Extraordinary Ordinary Women podcast, please share the love. You can do this by sending it on to a friend. You can join us over on Instagram, where I have a live every Friday with a different fab guest. Find us at Extraordinary Ordinary Women. And you can also give us a like on Facebook. If you're on Apple, please leave a review. And if you're not on Apple, then send one to me. My DMs are always open. I love hearing from you and passing it on to my guests. And of course, you can help us cover the costs of the podcast over on Patreon. Find out more at extraordinaryordinarywomen.co forward slash support. With so much thanks to everyone who is supporting us so far. Until next time, keep on being extraordinary. Right, I think there are two types of people coming out of lockdown. There are the people who have forgotten how to talk, yeah. who like don't have anything to talk about and don't know how to ask questions yeah. about anyone else's experience and yeah. they just sit and look awkwardly <laughs> and then there's the people that like to talk and haven't had anyone to talk about. <laughs> and it's just, and it's just like, that's what it feels like tonight it feels like oh I haven't talked about that for ages <laughs> oh that's mad I am going to find you that fire eating photo yeah please and I'm gonna is there anything else you'd like to say before I turn it off oh god no, I think I've gone, <laughs> gone on quite enough <laughs> Yeah, come back when I'm 60, see where we are. <laughs>